You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I got to tell you, first of all, I'm in the string section. So the string section, there's six strings to help balance out the staging and, and also the sound of Trans-Siberian Orchestra. And I'm watching this show from the stage and I did not understand the show. Like I'm playing and it's like, it's just like fog and I can see different colors going on. But what I did understand in San Diego and Los Angeles at the Coliseum was a matinee and an evening show both sold out. Like, I understood the ticket sales. I'm like, something is going on with this band. Hello, welcome to another episode of 2020. My name is Corey Peza here, as always, with Siobhan Cronin and Benny Goodman. And uh, and this week, we have an amazing guest uh, that we've, we've dug out of Siobhan's archives, right? <laughs> this is someone <laughs> we've, we've been trying to get for a while. Uh, plays with Trans-Siberian Orchestras, Shania Twain, Celine Dion, Mr. Roddy Chong. Yeah, it was so exciting to have him. It's, it's so funny because, you know, initially he was like, oh, I don't really do podcasts. And then the one and only Benny Goodman sold him on the show. So we finally got him to come on, talk about a lot of his amazing stories about getting in with all these amazing rock stars growing up in the suburbs of Chicago to what he does today. So I won't give away too much of the story. I'm not sure if Ben's participating in this intro, but... Oh, no, one. I just like the fact that he was like, you know what? Fuck violin. I'll take 40 grand to talk. <laughs> That's the biggest inspiration that anyone's ever told me. I'm like, wait a minute. I can parlay this assholery? Like, the reason he can't, this dignitary of a violinist, of a virtuoso, of a savant, of a human being, came on because of my voice, and he gets paid incredulous amounts of money to speak? Tell me more. Listen and subscribe. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 2020. I'm Siobhan Cronin here as always, very excited to introduce my dear friend, fellow rock star, violinist, amazing, amazing person. I've known him for a long time and so happy that he came on. We have the incredible Roddy Chong of Trans-Siberian Orchestra, has played with Shania Twain, Celine Dion, basically every big name you can think of. He is an incredible speaker. He does all sorts of events, very inspirational, and I'm so excited for people to hear his story. And I can't wait to just dive in yeah thank you for being here yeah thank you for having me everybody yeah, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't realize there was more than one violinist in the rock scene so that's a thing apparently Roddy hmm. like is my, was my inspiration <laughs> no because I was just the little string girl playing in Trans-Siberian Orchestra Roddy's the one doing all the acrobatics and the lead and so yeah I mean he was kind of like what I looked up to from I'm behind just excited. I'm just excited the guy from the WWF is playing violin now <laughs> I've been liking you since you beat Hogan Wrestlemania 4 <laughs> Rowdy Roddy's right. <laughs> Yeah, you can't see his guns with this angle, but Roddy's like, yeah, incredibly strong. She doesn't even get it because she wasn't alive. Right. I, I have a kilt. That's funny. I have a kilt. I'm wearing a kilt right now. Okay. Roddy, R- Rowdy Roddy Piper. Look Woo! it up. Okay, I definitely will. <laughs> so, so anyway, welcome to the show. And, you know, usually the first episode, part one for everyone that's tuning in, that's kind of when we get to know you. So I think we'll just dive in since you're new to my two friends here, my co-hosts. The three of yeah. us are in a project together called Lost Symphony. So we do some symphonic instrumental metal stuff. And uh, yeah, maybe just for us and for the listeners, can you tell us a little bit about where you grew up, how you got into music, how things got started for you? Me? Yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> No one cares about us. <laughs> I grew up in the, um, the suburbs of Chicago, a place called Schaumburg, Illinois. So, Schaumburg! Yes, Schaumburg, um, Chicago. So um, I started violin at age two, and my parents say that I chose it, but I don't think I did. I don't know how I could have. Um, my niece did choose it when she was two, but that was because she was watching me and I could kind of see how she kind of chose it, but I don't know about 
me choosing it. And then I kind of had to practice. That's totally, that's something I say in my speaking events. I grew up in a Chinese American household and in a Chinese American household, you have two choices, piano or violin. (laughs) Sure. As was the case with most of my friends growing up. Yeah, Yeah. I'm familiar. (laughs) And my sister got piano, I got violin, and then I had to practice like 20 minutes a day, which I thought was really terrible. Like it (laughs) took a long time. At that Um, age, yeah, sure. Yeah, and um, that would be like maybe five or six days a week. But I say that because sometimes people talk about like Tiger Mom or Asians and that six hour practicing and that really wasn't my life. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't, I would just break out the back door and throw a ball around (laughs) or something. But um, so yeah, that's that's how it started with Suzuki and um, all those kids also were my friends, but um, I mean, I thought it was totally dorky growing up, you know, like my other friends were playing soccer and stuff and um, I wanted to do those things more, but uh, this was my lot in life. And <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm very, I'm very thankful now, but at the time I was like, this is so not cool. What, what's, hap- what's happening to me? And, and so my mom and I were always like, fighting. Yeah. she says, I pushed you, but I didn't force you. So I don't, you know, what? did your mom, did your mom what's ever have a moment with you where she like, <laughs> put you in a corner and said, I didn't raise a quitter. <laughs> my mom did that oh, to me. And she's wow. not even, she's not, she's a, well, she's, she chose well, to be a Jew. Well, you had the Jewish mother thing. Well, yeah. no, but she, here's the thing, she's a convert. So she was actually Greek Orthodox that chose to be a Jew. So she actually chose to be a Jewish mother. So like, just like you chose the violin, she right. chose to be that way. Right. <laughs> um, there was a time, I think I was like 10, where I, I mustered up my voice to be like, I want to quit, like hesitating and trembling. And the, my mom didn't really say anything. She like just kind of used the force or something, but she was just kind of playing it. And she just kind of said, okay, well, let's take a break for a little while and then you can finish your practice. And she's like, I'm like, did you not hear me? I want to quit. So, but yeah, so I like, she did a great job because, and she told me later, she would like kind of push me to the edge of where I was going crazy and she would back off. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my so, gosh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I love how you just really laughed like, ha, 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 like you just got like an electric stimulus to your brain. No, I totally relate to this though. So it's like, yeah, just enough for like when they back off, you're like, wait, shit. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> What's happening? That's how they keep you. They're like, this is neuro linguistic programming technique. Yeah. There's all kinds of techniques. I was being indoctrinated. But um, yeah, you know, but sometimes I'd be practicing. It's funny because I knew what to practice. Like I had friends that would record their practices and then play the recording so that they're tricking their parents. But but I would have, I'd be playing wow. whatever, whatever I'm supposed to play, but I would have like um, my earbuds in and I'd be listening to like Ozzy and stuff like that. Or I'd be kind of playing along with it and trying to just do what I thought was cool. Um, so that, that's how I was practicing from, from age two to like 17, this was my life, so. Yeah. Did um, your parents it, or did your mom know about your interest in other type of music? Like, was d- did you have to hide that from them a little bit, or was it? Um, no, they were. They were. Uh, I remember um, once my friends got me like an Asia album, um, the Asia Asia one, and then Ozzy Blizzard of Oz, and um, and my mom didn't overreact, but she's just like the Asia one. You can keep that one. We're gonna. <laughs> We're going to trade this uh, the ups, upside down cross one of Ozzy crawling, <laughs> you know, and then I think we traded that in for like a journey album or something. So, I mean, it, you know, I don't, Still it was, yeah, it was, it was about like, she was just kind of in there, you know, my same friends, once they bought me a slingshot with a bunch of like metal ball, BB balls or whatever. The, and she's like, we're going to trade this in for something else too. You know? <laughs> for um, yeah, so you know, my and it's funny. I keep talking about my mom because my dad was kind of quiet the whole time. So probably the wisest one of but, he was a philosopher. <laughs> but, but later on, he helped me a lot with business and and my initial contracts of trying to do anything, trying to make money. My dad became more involved with that. But that's how I that's how I grew up. And uh, yeah, went to an academy, a violin academy in Arlington Heights. It was called the uh, Betty Haig Academy of Performing Arts. So a bunch of violinists. And um, what's wild is that I, I stopped like my junior year of high school 
and um, I just didn't think I would ever play it again. But um, you know, and then other kids were better than me, and they were going on to play in college uh, and get their masters and everything. But I, I never touched the instrument in college, so I was trying other things. Like I got a guitar, and I was trying to play rock music, and um, I had a, a guitar teacher, and because that's what was cool. But really, I, I wasn't as good as everybody else. But um, but no, I, I learned how to play all my favorite songs. Uh, you know, like whatever, Dokken, White Lion, all, all these songs on, on guitar. And, you know, I, I, I did play like rhythm uh, chords and stuff like that with Shania, which was um, like, like, that's part of what I want to share as far as the learning lessons. Everything that we're doing as younger people, everything that we're doing all kind of somehow work can be used later. And um, so that all, all my wanting to be like, some great guitar guy that, and I really kind of sucked. Um, but that came in later because then I was able to also play a little mandolin or something, you know, like a little bit of guitar and then just really work on it. And, um, it was kind of neat to see other things just kind of come back and, 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 uh, be useful. Yeah. That's no, that's something that so many people on the podcast have said that like, you have to always kind of follow your interests and diversify because they are, they do kind of synthesize, you know, in the long run and you end up using things unexpectedly, you know, at different points you're, in your career. Like, so it's great. Yeah. Cause I took some time off from the violin in, in college and learned a little Randy Rhodes. I got to make the face on stage behind Shania for a song. She's like, can you play guitar? You can, you can play Paganini on the violin. You, you gotta be able to play Bush, right? You're like, not very well. And then right. you go back and you play Charlie Daniels like nobody's business. And Siobhan's like, that's not even hard. <laughs> I think it's hard. <laughs> Everything is hard if you're trying to do it well. I mean, even, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, so it was, uh, yeah. Well, even in college, like, I got involved with dance, choreography, and um, and musical production. So, so that, it did get a little problematic where... I actually kind of thought I was like a renaissance man. I'm good at everything. And that's, it gets to be problematic. I mean, it, it can show up later, but you do kind of need to focus on a couple things. Sure. Like, like to now, I am a rock violinist for Trans-Siberian Orchestra. And then I'm a speaker. I use the violin, but I'm a corporate speaker. But if I was also still saying, well, I'm also acting and I'm a dancer. And it's like the nobody Wait, knows okay. I have to ask you the right. same question. So I bring it all back to Zoolander. Again, I've said this on previous podcasts. Fabio goes on stage and he accepts the award and he goes, I'd like to say thank you that I'm your favorite actor slash model and not the other way around. What would the slash be first? Would you be a rock violinist? Would you be a guitar? Like, what comes first before the slash? Uh, great question, because it can go either way. I mean, I put speaker first because the violin is so obvious. Really? Yeah, I put speaker first, but that's a bit strategic. And that's what I like about your podcast. It's a little bit longer. I can explain things. And I think I told Javon, I was like, I've done a bunch of podcasts. I don't want to do them. And, and part of it was like, there was either like some marketing thing I had to do or I had to, or, um, or it was like so quick, we're just looking for bullet points. There right. wasn't a chance to make a mistake and then recover. It's like, you just had to be like, kind of do all the, yeah, scripted, say all the right yeah. things. And um, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to say, obviously I said- Never uh, been accused of that ever on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the there's right so many mistakes, it'd be hard to stand out to be honest. <laughs> Corey gets point. paid more as an editor than for anything else that he does in his life. <laughs> editor slash host. <laughs> right, well, we all have slash player. <laughs> so, so yeah, so Benny just said a great question, you know, which would come first. So I put speaker first because um, it's a strategy thing. If, if you put violin first, people go, I know a violinist, saw that violinist at church, yep. at a wedding. He's like $200, yep. you know? But if, I, you know, but if you're a speaker, it's, a really it's, good not, point. it's not right, but it's how it works. If you're a speaker, it's like $25,000. And it doesn't make any sense to me as a musician, but I found that out real fast. Um, you, you'll that's, see. I was gonna say, I, that's totally true. Cause we did the DJ thing. Cause I, I'm a DJ I, for weddings and stuff. Right. And I always say, what's the difference between someone who gets $1,000 and $10,000 at, at a wedding? Someone asked for $10,000. 
And like uh, uh, Corey's been paid more money to not play songs than if he goes and plays for like five hours at like Wagon Wheel on repeat because just because you were doing a different type of thing. I don't think so I'd it's get how people paid perceive very much you. If I just played Wagon Wheel on repeat, by the way, <laughs> I think I'd be asked to leave pretty quickly. <laughs> um, so just uh, because it's a little different than than what we've we've heard in a, our our hundred plus episodes. Uh, how does one just become a speaker? Is, I guess it's okay. We're just going to bounce around all over the story. It's not going to go necessarily Oh, yeah. That, that always happens. Have you heard this? Yeah, I don't want to kill your flow, but at the same time, <laughs> that just jumps out to me. Like, we understand violinists. Like, we, we got that. That makes sense to us. Speaker is something a little more unique. I'd, I'd love to hear how one yeah. gets into that. Okay, are so you like a mid-range speaker? Are you like a dome tweeter? <laughs> are you titanium? Uh, as far as, uh, what are you talking about? The musical spectrum? The uh, <laughs> He's asking oh, if you're a subwoofer. Yeah, yeah. He's doing a double ben. entendre. Yeah, yeah. All right. He's silent. We've triple now given entendre. him like five questions and we don't even know where to go from here. <laughs> yes. Well, you were making a good point. You know, if you don't want to jump around, you were making a good point about how, you know, the title can sometimes hint or you know, tell people what your value is, you know, which is, I totally understand. I mean, I encounter this as a violinist all the time where it's like, I'll talk to people about private events and, you know, a lot of times I'll get this thing like, oh, I know what a violinist costs. I'm like, what does that mean? Like people are at varying levels of demand. They have various skills, but it, it is, it's a little bit harder to kind of separate yourself on that spectrum because if you have that label, somebody that doesn't understand that is going to just say, all right, well, this is just a substitutable thing, you know? And it isn't always the case. Yeah, I mean, this is a whole concept, whether we're just talking about speaking or DJing or uh, using a musical instrument, where you have to show more value. And, you know, I wasn't necessarily good at it. I've learned how to do that. And I had things around me that were showing that I, that I had a lot of value, but I didn't really know how to own it. So I'm better at it now. Um, and but completely still learning. Um, but what happened with speaking was I was on tour with Shania Twain in Australia and I do play blackjack every once in a while and I was playing blackjack uh, Gold Coast uh, shoot was that Adelaide or something like that. I was in Australia and I was there was a guy next to me and he needed $50 to get on the train to go home and I was up like 50 bucks. So I gave him the 50. I said, we're playing with house money. You go ahead and, you know, if you win, uh, you get your money. If you don't win, that's fine. I'll just keep playing. So he won his money and he left. And I, I we exchanged information. Um, his name was Mike Smallbone. And uh, Mike ended up getting a green card and moved to Nashville, Tennessee. And he uh, was working as an agent for a speakers bureau called Premier Speakers. And um, so I spoke at an arts conference for the very first time about 15 years ago. And I remember they called me and asked, you know, we would like you to speak at our thing. And I was like, I don't speak because I thought that was like politicians. You know, I was like, but mm -hmm. I'll play. And they were, they were kind of like, well, you know, it's all expenses paid. You know, we're going to pay you like 4000 or something, which to me was like way more than anything that's normal for a musician. I'm like, so I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to do this thing. And I, I had to do it four times. And I, I had my speech all written out. I had all these pages. And so I'm like going through my story. And, and um, anyone who writes or uh, tries to speak with your notes, um, a couple things is whatever you think is so great that you're going to unleash upon an audience when you're sitting at your desk sometimes doesn't work with the actual people. And that was happening. And then things that I didn't think were that funny or important, people were reacting really big to. So I was using my paper and it was like shaking because I was nervous. And then I had to do it four times. So the second time, the guy that hired me, he said, um, okay, all that stuff you're talking about in the beginning about being Asian and all how you're growing up that way and trying to make all those jokes. He's like, cut that out. Get right to the part where you get fired from jars of clay. So I'll explain that later. But but he's like, because that's where everyone just leaned forward. So I'm like, so the second time I skipped all the beginning stuff I was saying and I got to this part where I got fired from my first job band, which was jars of clay. And then uh, the third time he's just like, I think it's time for you to get rid of these notes. And I was, I really needed them. It was like my security. So 
But then I got rid of him and he was right. Like I could kind of feel I was interacting with the audience more. And that was kind of how I already interacted with the audience with my, my violin playing. And um, so at the end of it, um, like I would get big responses from this audience. I, people were crying sometimes with the difficult things I shared and standing ovation at the end. And the guy actually recorded it and sent the DVD to this this place called Premier Speakers, and um, and just said this guy did a real good job at our conference. And uh, uh, so Mike Smallbone, that guy that I was playing blackjack with, was in that office. Said I know this guy, and that's what. Jeez, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Oh man. He and he called me up. He's like, you should do speaking, and I'm totally scared. Like I'm like, I, you know, I don't, but. The money, <laughs> yeah. was, the money was just so much bigger than what I was experiencing with music. So um, they flew me in uh, and I performed in their office. It was uh, very like everything's ornate and there's like marble and like waterfalls inside of this agency. And so I played and I shared my story. And then at the end, I thought I had to be like an expert or some kind of an author or something. So I said, there's this whole teaching part about the performing arts. I don't have it crystallized yet. I remember I used the word crystallized to try to sound intelligent. Like I don't have it crystallized yet, but um, I will and I'll show you later. And the president of the company, Dwayne, he said, well, you can show us that, but uh, all we care about is humor and story and you have both. And so we're gonna start booking you out. So that's how speaking started. Um, and I, um, I'm not exclusive with Premiere, but um, I do work with them, but 80% of what I book speaking wise is, uh, is on my own. And, uh, but it is a hybrid. I do play violin beginning, middle and end of, mm -hmm. uh, of the speaking event. So the only other person, I know other musicians are kind of doing it, but the only other person that I know that's doing it kind of well, um, that is getting big responses and I haven't seen him speak, but is the, is the drummer Kenny Aronoff, you know him? Mm -hmm. Oh, I love Kenny. Yeah, he's speaking. At, yeah, he's he's out there. So I, I need to see what he does as a speaker. Um, we 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 compare notes though. We we've talked about it just as people in Los Angeles just talking. And what's funny is that uh, that he curses a lot during his thing, and I I don't curse at all. And uh, he's he's he was like, man, you know, because he's mad because he, he he's like, this is just who I am. And uh, yeah. but he's like he's like, but you're gonna get hired more, you know, because. Because they kind of, the corporations kind of need that a little bit of a of a cleaner, a little bit of a filtered kind of a presentation, but um, so um, that's how I got into speaking was because of touring and being social and extroverted and um, and and a bit of luck. So um, that's an amazing yeah. story, and it, it it just proves that you're so down to like go on an adventure and be bold with something which it, it requires that too because you have to you know it was something outside of your comfort zone and a lot of people at that point would have been like nah it doesn't matter how much it pays I just don't want to speak in front of people or when the notes were taken away that was another chance to be like nah I just don't want to do that but you just yeah. rolled with it and that's amazing like that's so yeah. inspiring that you know yeah I definitely felt tons of nerves and then still tried to do it anyway and then made somewhat of a of a hesitating, awkward, but going for it kind of person in front of a live audience, which is, it's, it's pretty hard, but um, yeah, but that, that's how we grow, right? Um, I was gonna say that um, my speaking now is, is a lot better, but that's because at the same time this was happening, I went to a, like a major acting school. Uh, it's a, that one was called the, the Baron Brown Academy of Performing Arts in Santa Monica. So it's like a Meisner, so I'd already toured with um, Shania, Celine, and some other country people, Lone Star, Shadezi, and Jessica Andrews. And then I moved to um, California because I had done some acting things in Chicago and I thought I want to do more. And um, so I joined this acting school and we were doing what's called superlatives. So a superlative is something that you can act um, and then uh, you have to uh, do. You have to do this in front of your peers and the teach. Like for for instance, you can act a, a, a personality. So my example for this with the speaking thing is, um, I did my most 
Tony Robbins. So a superlative of Tony Robbins is you're acting like Tony Robbins, you're saying Tony Robbinisms, and and, and you know you're you're going for it, and you're um, you think that you're the biggest and most super Tony Robbins being that you could be, and. The teacher's like, more, we need more. We can't even tell that anything is going on. You look like Roddy up there. You don't seem like you're the motivational speaker, Tony Robbins. So I'm not going bigger and bigger. I think I'm a complete clown. But the, the class afterwards were like, you're really good at that. I mean, but I had also listened to a ton of Tony Robbins. So, yeah. <laughs> so then I started like incorporating some of this, like just do more and be bigger. And um, to me, it would feel like I'm being like, way outlandish but i could tell the audience is like finally something a little more lively than than a stifled <laughs> expert up there that's kind of boring us you know and so this same technique is actually what i used in the trans-siberian orchestra audition it's just yeah yeah um that one i used most enthusiastic so um backing up just a little bit is that i had moved to california and uh like I'm just trying to meet people in California. So I went to this place called Molly Malone's and um, a musician friend took me there to see a performer named Reeve Carney. Have you guys heard of Reeve Carney? So no, I haven't. I've um, that name he's, sounds really familiar. he's a guitar player, blues guy. He, he I think he played for John Mayer at a point, um, but uh, he was Spider-Man on Broadway. Um, okay. So that, and then he's, he's one of the leads for, um, Town, so I think they won a Tony for something. Anyway, so Reeve was there, and what Reeve is, Reeve is so good, They're just an incredible artist, that he brought all these actors, singer, management, agent types to um, his performances. And I met a cello player there, and um, she uh, was putting together the she was subcontracting, so putting together the string section for Trans-Siberian Orchestra for San Diego and Los Angeles, and the violinist that was in her group um, bailed. And I had met her at the Reeve Carney concert, and I so I actually have a business card, I still do, and so we exchanged physical business cards. So now I do phone and business card, because you got the phone so you can kind of interact, but the business card is still, it's kind of, it shows up and it can kind of be kind of something to, I try to get other people's business cards actually so that I can stock them more. I have um, one too, still, yeah. Yeah, um, but but that one worked and she had me um, come out and pinch it for this person that had quit. And it's really interesting because um, Siobhan understands that, but I think you guys would also understand just kind of how musicians can be sometimes. But uh, string players can be, um, what's the word? All sorts of words. I can't, yeah. <laughs> if I have to know, uh, flighty, um, uh, unpredictable. <laughs> I would, so, yeah, string players are interesting because rock music players have to be in a band. So you have to get along, even if you're fighting. Yeah. Well, string players are practicing by themselves and then they're also trained to audition and try to beat the person in front of them. So it's it's a bit people get really competitive. Kind of competitive and and their insecurities come out in really odd ways. So I'm a mixture yeah. like I'm super social and I, I want to be liked. I like people. I'm an extrovert and so I walked into the situation, but they were already kind of a click. They already kind of uh, knew each other and um, they, I, they, I could just feel it. They were sizing me up. It was so. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, it happens great. all the time. Yeah. And, and I was Classic. Feeling, and like I was thrown into this thing. It's like, OK, I got to like play 27 pieces. I've never I know them kind of, but I haven't really seen them. So I'm like feverishly practicing in the corner and they're hanging out being all cool. And I'm going to say something because I, this is literally what happened. So I'm in catering and I'm trying to sit with the group that knows each other. And, uh, and this does reveal who she is. I'm not going to say her name but because she's totally fine, too. But this is what she said to me. She goes, I just got off the road with Kanye West. What have you done? <laughs> it was so stupid. I'm just like, I got, I'm with my, my food and I'm just like. <laughs> I, I just left because I'm just like, I'm not going to try to qualify myself to these. Did you think to yourself, I want to be all by myself, <laughs> all by, 
you hit that note? Can you hit it? You know what I'm talking about, that one note? The one note. That note. Siobhan would you that one. The note. Yeah, that the note. The Celine is, note. That note's awesome. That You can pay. That made the, David Foster's career, man. That that note actually is killer, killer um, at, the, at the Vegas. What's that place. like being behind Celine D? I, I, wait, so no, no, know. Ben, 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 let him finish so, his story. We're, we're derailing him because I, he's in the middle I, of his transfer. I, I love Celine Dion. Okay. Yeah, Celine is the greatest. Um, so I, I did. I took my food. I kind of went to go somewhere else to be by myself. <laughs> and um, but there was a long-haired dude kind of walking, and he was kind of going to the same place. I think he also was trying to kind of get be by be himself. By himself. <laughs> and we just both sat down at this table that was like far away from everybody else. And he must have heard. He's like, "So I heard you uh, toured with Shania Twain. Did you ever meet Mutt Lang?" And I said, I worked with Mutt Lang a lot. So then he's like asking me all these questions about Mutt Lang. So that was uh, Al Petrelli. Al Petrelli is one of the music directors of Transiberian Orchestra. So Benny, why are you laughing? Why you got that smile? Oh, just, just, just because Al Petrelli is also the guitarist that plays in Megadeth from Dread of the Fugitive Mind, as if I don't yeah, know I just, who Al I mean, I knew he was nerding Sabotage. out while you were saying that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Whatever. Go on about the guy <laughs> from New York that smells like cigarettes and plays awesome guitar. That's right. And 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 so Al and I were getting along and talking and traded business cards. And um, yeah, I didn't know. I was so new to this organization. I didn't know what I was supposed to. I was just kind of being pushed by the you know. And, and those string players are fine. You know, it just that's how I perceived it. They would probably be like, I have no idea what that guy's talking about. You know, but. Um, but that's what happened. It kind of just pushed me and then Al and then, so I had his card and I got to tell you, first of all, I'm in the string section. So the string section, there's six strings to help balance out the staging and, and also the sound of Trans-Siberian Orchestra. And I'm watching this show from the stage and I did not understand the show. Like I'm playing and it's like, it's just like fog and I can see different colors going on. But what I did understand in San Diego and Los Angeles at the Coliseum was a matinee and an evening show both sold out. Like I understood the ticket sales. I'm like, something is going on with this band that the, the I mean, it's like totally to the rafters, the people that are enjoying this show. It's a wild view. Yeah, it really is. But I think it's a better view from the audience because while you're up there, you're just trying to hang on and play and <laughs> yeah. Um, so um yeah so i called al petrelli i just i was very nervous i'm sure i'm always nervous even now i'm i'm calling things trying to make things happen i'm always nervous but i'm just like just pick up the darn phone uh, i have little sayings like there's you know just now is the right time so i mean unprepared you just do it so and i, I got his answering machine i remember first and I, i'm like leaving terrible messages that i'm saying um and not really sure what to do but one time his son picked up and, um, and then I, I had also sent like a holiday card. Thank you for having me perform with you. And so I'm just doing all this this follow up. And I don't know which reach out landed, but they were doing a brainstorming. Um, I heard about it later. They were doing a brainstorm about how to make Transiberian Orchestra bigger and better. And they, um, so Al was like, why don't we have Roddy audition first and see what he can do and then then let's have maybe two violinists running around, just like we had two guitars running around. So that was the idea. And um, so they had me audition. So I, I kind of forgot exactly where we were in the story, but um, so that's, that's where I use the superlative of being my most enthusiastic um, in the audition. And uh, because I had seen from the string section that this was a rambunctious, over the top, you know, 80s rock kind of a, a show. And so I had my beaming smile. I'm playing Flight of the Bumblebee and Mozart's Figaro and not where I'm jumping off the console, but I was like, I'm gonna move around this 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 thing. And I'm, the acting school trained us, whatever your superlative is, just do that one note and play it really hard and just drill it through there the decision maker's forehead, just like, just, and so that's what I was trying to do. And um, Paul O'Neill, who is the creator and the producer of Transiberian Orchestra was there and, and it worked. And he, he stood up, he took off his leather jacket and he's like swinging around and he spikes it. And he, you know, just insisted that I join Transiberian Orchestra. So that was one of the biggest yeses I've ever received. And so um, 
that was uh, 15, 16 years ago. So um, pretty happy with what happened. Yeah, it's an amazing story. And for anyone that hasn't seen you perform live, I mean, you definitely are the example of a superlative in action. Like you, every jump is super high and every yeah. motion is super, you know, accentuated. And like, you're, you're totally right. Like I learned so much about playing rock music, just the demonstration of it from watching you, like just being on stage, you know, and how much energy you really have to put out there. And one of the things that I tell a lot of people that actually you told me, and you might not even remember, but especially now when we're touring and it's like, you know, the end of the tour and everyone's exhausted, you know, and it's like one person in the band will be like, oh, I just don't really feel like it today. And I'm, and I always tell them what you told me, that you have to give every audience the same show, no matter how tired you are. You know, every audience deserves to get the most energetic version of yourself, whether it's the first show, the last show or any show in between. And I think about you all the time when I tell people that, because like, I'm like, that's something Roddy said to me. That's funny yeah. you say that because I remember seeing Henry Rollins years ago. One of my favorite things he said is, you know, you fly everywhere around the world, do all this. And what you got to do is you got to remember the last time you got a good night's sleep and that you weren't like hung over and you had it been in three countries in six days and in seven airports and pretend to be like that. Yeah. And then, then like moments, like 10 <laughs> seconds of silence. You know, like he was accessing that part of his brain that remembered the last time he had restorative sleep. But like, I get it. Like, you got you got to do that. And you know what? I can tell just by the way he's smiling. Like, he's working the room. There's no room, dude. We're on Zoom. He's working the Zoom call. Like, he's like eyeing us all. I love this guy. Like, literally, dude. Because I always say, uh, it, it's, it's true, is that, you know, your energy transfers. Your energy, like, I was... Looking at Corey, I'm like, dude, are we gonna do this? Like, we we were talking to Bumblefoot from Asia. He sang for Asia, just so you know. Bumblefoot yeah. this morning. I'm like, who's this? Who's this guy? And I Google you, and I'm like, okay, he's pretty big. I think, and then Kevin Costner, Celine Dion, Shania Twain. My first thought, like Al Petrelli, was, so he must have heard of Mutt Lang. Can you tell me about, it? Uh, dude? Like, how did I not know about you? Siobhan, like, has so many friends that are so cool, and she keeps them all from us. Siobhan, why are you doing I, this? I'm not. I that This is the, the, the story. I tried, and now oh, we finally got Roddy. This, this was the time, right? This was the time, like, you, with no, he said it earlier. Don't even pretend. Just, this is the time. Just do it now. <laughs> Just do it now. But the most important thing is, uh, so tell us about Mutt Lang. Yeah, Mutt Lang. <laughs> That's what I was Jeff Leppard there? <laughs> I mean, this is the place to do it. Like, I, I don't get to talk about Mutt Lang. I think that people, because of what's been kind of put out there, is is a bit is 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 totally not about music. Um, yeah. So, so I did my Shania Twain audition for Mutt Lang. Like, people don't understand that that I didn't. I mean, Shania was there too, but I had to pass the music audition, which was was with Mutt. Now. I was fortunate that I did not know who Mutt was when I went to the audition. I saw like a guy with a Hawaiian shirt on and bare feet. He had an accent, which I found out was a South African accent, and he was the nicest guy ever. I'm like, this guy's so cool. Like you said, energy transfers. His energy transferred to me. I'm like, I'm with a really cool guy. I think this is my people. So I was totally relaxed, and I'm like playing what he wants me to play. Um, and uh, the actual audition, he said, do you have the song, Don't Be Stupid Prepared? And I had prepared that song, there's a fiddle solo, and he said, what version do you have? And I'm like, uh, I have the version from the UCD store down the street. And he's <laughs> like, well, we are playing the international version, so you need to play the, and I had no idea what he was talking about. So um, I heard, they played it for me and it was just the same song, but all cut and pasted. The parts were all, all different. So oh that was really scary. But in my audition, the power went out right then. <laughs> yeah. No sound, no lights. It was like, boom. And um, I found a battery operated jam box and put the CD in there of this uh, international version. I had like a legal pad and just mapped it out, ABC or BBCA. And, when the power came back up, like maybe 45 minutes later, it gave me, and I just literally, I was kind of like, they would just want me to play it this new way. And I just stared at it and played it. So that was, I don't even know what to say about that. Super fortunate. Um, 
So that's two things going for me. I didn't know at the time who Mutt was, and I had a very fortunate power outage when I needed it. <laughs> you know? And then a third thing happened in that audition that, that really helped me. Now, believe me, I've done a ton of auditions that everything went against me, and, and I walked away. But this one was just, you know, I forget about those. I remember the, the good ones, right? But the third thing was after I played the uh, international version of Don't Be Stupid, Shania's like, do you have the song prepared? Again, no one told me about a song that I'm supposed to sing, apparently, that I'm supposed to have already known. And um, so innocently, like not knowing, just letting whatever random thought come out of my mouth, I was like, could I have five minutes thinking I could learn this whole song in five minutes? And she was kind of annoyed a little bit and just was just in her, you know, that ping went out there and then she received it and was like, let's just call lunch. You know, and I'm just like, yes. <laughs> so, so they all went to lunch and I found uh, their exercise room and I was like pedaling on a bike and, you know, just trying to me, 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 me. It's <laughs> trying to get whatever kind of, just whatever kind of vocal exercises I could get going. And um, so she sang the melody of the song and I'm like singing the harmony, which is like a little bit higher. And uh, but I had an hour to figure this out and she just said, you have a real nice presence to your voice. And I'm just like, everyone's just saying positive things. I think I'm kind of in, you know, I just, I didn't know, but uh, you know, once we were rehearsing, I remember a couple things about Mutt Lang. Um, there was one time there was the keyboard player, his name is Hardy and he was playing his keys. And I'm going to try to do a Mutt Lang impersonation. He's just like, um, Hardy. Uh, is there something wrong with your keyboard? And Hardy's doing all this playing, just like totally <laughs> doing like amazing. And we can't hear anything. He's like, oh, sounds fine. You know, sounds good. Mutt. Mutt's like, oh, Hardy, I, I, I think there's something wrong with your keyboard. And he's playing, you know, every note. It's, it's doing great. And like the next day that keyboard broke, you know, it's just like, this shows that he heard things that we couldn't hear. Um, He's like, the like final a, destination. A sixth of, sense yeah. for things that are about to Never break. Never have him come to your studio. I feel like your Neumann U47 is going to have a bad capsule. <laughs> That's right. Thanks, Mutt. Um, you ruined my whole summer. Now, can you imagine um, being a drummer in auditioning for Mutt Lang? I mean, oh, no. that would be so like just nerve wracking and there was a drummer that's just playing JD Blair and he's doing his thing. I mean, I, I like the guy that's twirling the sticks. Okay. That shows how much I know. So if this, some guys like twirling the sticks and just doing all the theatric. I'm like, that guy's awesome. You know? <laughs> so, so JD comes in and he's just kind of doing something that seems to me so boring, you know, and he's not doing the theatrics. And then Mutt goes, so, when did you know that you were good? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I mean, if that's also not like just a huge vote of yes, you know, and we're all just like, you are the Do man. you want to know the truth is? As far as drummers and Paul Lorenzo, who plays in, in Lost Symphony with us, is a perfect example of this. He plays so effortlessly that he looks like he's going to fall asleep. And one time, <laughs> one time I said to him, I said, hey, man, like, why don't you make any phases? And he goes, what phases do you want me to make? And he started like, trying to make phases. And then finally, his band gave him an LED mask so you don't even see his face. So they just put his face on with an LED app. But that said, like he when he plays, it's so effortless that like when I listen to it in the studio, I'm like, holy shit! Yeah, he shit, looks like he's animal. doing his he looks like he's doing his taxes while he like is doing the craziest face. Yeah, 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 he's, yeah. he's like literally ordering his Dunkin' Donuts on his app and doing all like, and, and he looks disinterested. But then when you listen to it, it sounds like Dad hated me. Yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, I mean it's it's true though, right? So like certain musicians they like i have a lot of theatrics right sometimes that my intonation and time suffers as a result of, of me trying to be david lee roth <laughs> i'm not even a singer like all that stuff siobhan's talking about is completely david lee roth influenced like and i'm still I was like, gonna ask you that 
That's I was amazing. Ask I didn't you, know like, that. Like the David Lee Roth of violin. And I really wish I had gone for it because you know this as a speaker. I wish I had gone for it because yeah. I would have totally landed that with you. Yeah. I didn't know. That's awesome. Like we talking like not current David Lee Roth, like back in the day when Correct. David Lee Roth was hot and could bang your girlfriend, David Lee Roth, right? That, that Roth. Yes. Okay, thank you. The splits and all, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I still believe that that version is still happening. So I don't, I don't, I'm in denial a little bit, but. Um, uh, he is too, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yes completely um, influenced by David Lee Roth's jumps. And, um, <laughs> but um, you know, something that happened, I remember with, with, with Mutt Lang. So they're like, what else do you do besides violin fiddle? And can you play guitar? You know, can you play mandolin? And then um, we're gonna have you sing, but you needed to sing with some raspiness. So, that was amazing, you know, for me to learn how to sing background vocals from Mutt Lang because I'd been hearing Mutt Lang's background vocals on Def Leppard forever, you know, and um, some of it was um, zany and outlandish, you know, like just just how you would how you think you would sing something that would make sense is not how we're necessarily supposed to sing it so that it would sound good. So the background vocal thing was just such a privilege to even try and to learn from Mutt how to sing these background vocals or even even to say like yeah you know yay or hey or yeah there are how many different ways to say yeah you know and so we're doing this in these shows um and then also like he's like okay so you're gonna play um guitar in these three songs so i'm playing them and He's looking at me and he's like, you're completely out of time, man. You're completely out of time. So he, for one hour every day during rehearsals, he would have me sit in a room and have a click track with the song and just hit my leg. So no playing. I'm just, and I'm thinking I'm in time the whole time. So that's a problem because he's saying I'm completely out of time. So I don't even know what in time or out of time is because I'm out of time apparently. And I thought I was in time. So uh, I just kept trying, you know, and thankfully they didn't kick me out. They just, you know, I, I guess I improved, but. Uh, well, let me ask you this. You played the violin and I've noticed this because I'm a pianist and I mean, not next to Siobhan who says she's not a pianist, but she's a better <laughs> pianist than I am. But when I play piano and I go back to like quantize things, I'm always pleasantly surprised like, oh, that was actually very close to the beat. Whereas when I play guitar, I'm like, oh, that's horrible. That's horrifyingly bad. Ask Corey. Like when I play piano, he's like, oh, you got it. No, that's fine. We can work with that. I'm like, we can. But anytime I play guitar or sing, he's like, I don't know if we got that word. We have to we probably can work, redo we can the work entire with that thing. Is a uh, euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like with violin, you have better timing, like by Mutt Lang standards, than let's say guitar, and that you had to? They're different, like almost like different languages to you. Um, I just have always had a tendency to rush, so I know to lay back. Uh, then I kind of feel something where I'm at least relatively in time. Um, <laughs> but with Transylvania Orchestra, we do have like some a click kind of going and keeps us all pretty locked in. But yeah, I learned that from Mutt. You know, uh, I learned what being in time or just being a hair behind the beat, how that helps the song. Um, I did ask him um, when when you produced Back in Black. I remember the way I'm talking right now is how I talk to him. I just, I'm like, I, I was like always around him, like, you are a god. I don't know how to talk to you. you know? And I'll, like, literally, what just happened is how I said it to him because I'm like, am I allowed to talk to him about Back in Black, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, so what did you do to make that album sound so great, you know? And he, he goes, to be honest, I just hit record. He's like, I might have tweaked a couple things. He goes, ACDC is the best rock band of all time. So He's not wrong. I didn't know. He's just like, they were so rehearsed, they didn't need a click track. And he's always all about timing, right? He's like, yeah. we're in time with no click track. Remember how you said focus? They learned three chords. 
And they rode that all the way to the bay. If you listen to it, <laughs> Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap, it's the same as She's Got the Jack. It's the same as literally every... It's all the same. And it was when I was maybe 33 years old when I realized that's the genius part. Because you hear Dream Theater and you're like, maybe they can play at 17. But then you realize <laughs> ACDC has taken the same three cores and somehow made us all as consumers. Well, they, make, they, move, they move the rests around. And that's how you get the magic. It's kind of like modes, right? You it's just when, move when you one note to the end. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's what he said to me. I, I couldn't believe it. You know, I thought he had to do some twisting of the knobs or something. I'm sure he did, you know, but it does sonically sound really big. So that's what I learned from Mud. also is this like you listen to hysteria or pyromania in your car. It just sounds louder than other albums. And that's what he did he made these things sound arena rock huge stadium rock huge so the bigger the better so um yeah big privilege to um to work with my Mo favorite Mo lang imitation is from the Def Leppard movie from the 90s on mtv or vh1 you remember that kind and of they, yeah and, and, and they're sitting there and they're doing the first record and i don't know if it was high and dry maybe it was maybe it was hysteria the first one they did with mutt and he kept going higher no i can't sing it higher and he's like listening well, I'm fucking listening. Well, I'm fucking listening. And for years, every time my brother would get mad at me in the studio, he'd be like, listening? And then you put a finger, listening? So for forever, Mutt Lang has been in my head. Because every single time like I've done something wrong, it's just, listening? Yes. There's some truth to that. I, I never heard him say listening because he didn't want to listen to me or something. But but what he, he was listening say, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He would say um, just one more in various ways. One more. And again, please. One more time. I mean, we were talking for days. Corey's laughing because that's that's literally his mo. Oh, just one more time. No, you got this. One more. You you you're getting it now. Now just singing in time and in the right key and the song. Hey, you got it, this. If it works for Mutt, I'll I'll steal it all day. <laughs> and you know that he was actually mixing the sound in the arena. So could you imagine just the privilege of going to an arena? And, but nobody knew because he's just so quiet about it. He would have two guys at the board, but he's literally behind them, you know, putting on the pressure. This is what we need to make it sonically sound. I'd be terrified I'd to be, to be those guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the fuck that. Like, my, like mine's like, this doesn't sound compressive. Like, I'm out of here, man. Fuck Shania. <laughs> fuck you. That's more pressure than the musicians. Jeez. Engineering in front of Mutt. That's going to be crazy. Well, let me ask you this. You you play with a lot of big, big divas. You have Celine Dion, who's like literally, in my opinion, one of the greatest voices of all time. We have Shania Twain. And then we have Kevin Costner. Who's the biggest diva of them all? Diva as in great or diva as, as in... As in when they walk in the room, you're like, oh my God, I can't believe the gown. Like star power. <laughs> yeah. Star power, star power is Celine Dion all day. Really? She just I, demands it. Demands it, commands it, has it. Yeah. She, you know, and I'll just say one example. I mean, Shania Twain is the most important artist to my personal life who picked me out of obscurity and put me on a rocket ship that took off. Um, so, I mean, I'd love to, but we're talking about the biggest diva. Um, yeah, yeah, no, for real. Just one, so we did, uh, two sold out shows at I think they called it Wembley Arena with you mean where Queen played you mean like the Freddie well, Mercury Wembley Live 86 I'm like almost, the, the biggest I'm show of my there. love you did good you jumped on the improv and so do that don't don't hold back but I'm <laughs> getting to that point I'm not there yet <laughs> we did two sold out arenas in Wembley uh, Arena with Shania and I thought this was where this is huge as everything with Shania was huge un until I realized across the street at Wembley Stadium, Celine sold that out twice. So uh. we, had, <laughs> we had two 15,000 seat arenas sold out and Celine had two 80,000 seat stadiums sold out. So Jesus it just Christ. shows stadiums, uh, stadium, Celine Stadium, same thing. Celine star power around the world um, mm -hmm. is gi-ginormous, big, 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 big. 
Um, now, North America, you know, Shania Twain is huge, you know, but internationally, um, and and look, you know, she's also one of my favorite voices, and there's a lot of great voices, but Celine is protected, or somehow she's still going and still singing. You can see her show if you sit near the front, and she's off to the side. She's still singing and goofing around, and it's perfect. And who knows? You know, she's just a, a true, true singer. She's just going for it. And I'm just like, how can she do all that? Um, but she's doing all the techniques and doing it right. Well, you yeah. go see her. She's one of those people. And, and I, and I honestly, and I. I don't want to sound insulting, but Alanis Morissette was the most recent example of this for me, where you go and see them and you're just like, oh, wow. I didn't even, because you can like, you can hear from like the stage, like over the PA system, like a Bruce Dickinson from Iron Maiden. Like he, whether you love his voice or not, you're like, holy shit, that guy's 97 years old running around with the British flag. He's beating up a zombie <laughs> and he's still like flying a plane with an endangered turtle. Celine Dion is running around instead of meatloaf through like singing Jim Steinman's seven minute songs, just owning it, like falling off the Titanic. And her voice is so damn good that every time as a grown man, I watch a whole special, I can't help but go to the bathroom and wipe off my eyes from crying because she's so fucking stupid good. I can't help myself. I I literally can't not cry when I watch Celine Dion for at least 60 minutes. That's true. That's a fucking goddamn truth. She's so ridiculously good. It's stupid. <laughs> you I'm look so like you're about to get up that. and leave, Ben. <laughs> I'm yeah, just like, I can't just saying, it anymore. Like, you can't, well, David Foster went to Canada to go see this freak. Like, he tells a story, too. Like, this little modest girl, whatever. And that voice. But that voice, the first time I heard the power of love, I was on my way to Canada on a Jewish community center trip with my friends on a bus. You know, your friends are on a bus. <laughs> we're like, what is this? It was Celine. Literally, that's why it wasn't Nirvana, it wasn't Aerosmith, it wasn't Ozzy. It was like, who is that voice? Celine Dion. That's yeah. true. I love it. <laughs> I am in complete agreement. You know, just 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 two dudes talking about Celine Dion over here, Siobhan. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck talking. <laughs> Tell me about Celine. Yeah. <laughs> well, that sounded to me like ben, every time we, as you know, I'm sure from watching, we get close to the end of a, a part of the episode. Ben has to go on his epic rant to summarize everything he's feeling at that moment. So that sounded like it to me. <laughs> I think that one's still coming. The epic one. These yeah. Are the, the warm up rants. These yeah. are the warm up rants. Yeah. Well, we have a whole other hour. Hopefully, if you'll stick yeah. around with, I mean, are we paying you like on the vocal talking time <laughs> or is this violin time? Because I know what violinists get paid, but as, as far as a speaker, you're out of our pay grade. That's right. We're, we're, do, we're doing both. Yeah, you were, you were kind enough to, uh, to send us, you know, a, a few points here. And I mean, we have not even begun to touch no, on I some, know. Of, some of the topics that I, that I want to hear about. Where can people find out more about you? And uh, is there anything immediately that you want people to know Roddy about, Chong. I guess, to check out? Or promote before? or share, yeah. RoddyChong.com, by the way. Correct. Everything R-O-D-D-Y-C-H-O-N-G on the socials and RoddyChong.com. And um, Transiberian Orchestra, you know, we're going on tour. It's that um, time of year. I start rehearsals in a few days. And um, so uh, I'm part of the, the, you know, basically the team, the Transiberian Orchestra team kind of takes over. So that becomes what I end up marketing. Um, so, but um, no, just uh, if you wanted to, you know, I'm, I'm super extroverted. I try to reply to everybody. So if anybody wants to reach out, but um, I guess hopefully with part two, my hope is to, is to help other people that are on their journey to get into their dreams. And I've been able to land a couple. So um, hopefully with part two, we can talk about more of that. Absolutely. We, can we would use be happy all, to do We can that. use all the help we can get. So we'll, we'll take advantage of that. All right. Check out right. 2020-D.com. We'll see you in the next one. Thank you, as always, for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-D.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 104, featuring Amit Sharma, music journalist and rock writer for magazines like Guitar World and Kerrang! Check it out. Yeah, I fly out to LA, having a great time, and the band take me to Claudia Schiffer's husband's birthday party. And uh, there were loads of kind of weird, famous people in there, and, you know, 
some I knew, some I didn't. And uh, Stephen Tyler was one of them, and he was like kind of sat there in the kind of darker side of the bar, and he had like a couple of ladies with him, but they both had a hand in his trousers. And uh, the, the craziest thing is he, he just started a conversation with me. It's just like, yeah, man, no, how's it going? What are you up to? Are you having fun? And I'm just like, do you want 10 minutes? Shall I come back? You know, am I getting in the well, way? I could multitask. And he totally could multitask. He, he was talking to me while they were going at it. And, you know, I, I ended the conversation not knowing whether I should have just stayed longer just to keep talking to it. Uh, but he had a great night. I had a great night. And then we caught up afterwards. And he, he definitely looked a lot more relieved. Yes, welcome everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you!